Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the centre of Cardiff, dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Twelve years ago, around twelve years ago, I experienced one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. It was during my very first placement as a student nurse. I was rushing to get to the clinic. I arrived a bit flustered, finding my way through the hostel campus. I was a bit hot and bothered, but I got there just about a little bit late. And as I got to this clinic, it was a clinic where the patients would be taking blood, where the nurse would take the blood um, each week for them. And I was watching this, and I started to feel a little bit sick, a little bit faint, and I was thinking, no, Becky, don't faint. This is not a good time to faint. So I said to the nurse, "Um, excuse me, I'm feeling a little bit faint right now. And well, since they were sort of in the middle of taking the blood, there was not much they could do other than say, just go and sit down somewhere. So looking around the room, the only place that I could sit down was the clinical bed. So if you've been in a a doctor's surgery, you know, the clinical beds, they're quite high up. Instead of lying down on the bed, I just sort of perched on the edge of the bed. You thought, that'd be okay there. And I put my head in my lap and I thought, come on, don't faint, don't faint. The next thing I knew, I was having a lovely dream that I was falling through the sky. (laughs) And then I heard this loud bang outside my body, and I thought, what was that? I woke up, and I honestly thought I was in bed. I thought it was the morning of my placement. And then I woke up, and I said, oh, did I faint? And I was lying on the floor of the clinical room. And the patient still having their blood taken. The nurse was still there going, don't move, just stay where you are. And here I was, lying on the ground. And then the patient, you know, they finished taking the blood, the patient got up, and he just walked over and he just stepped right over me and said, see you later, and just just left, like nothing had ever happened. And the thing was, this was so embarrassing, and it became a story well known between the student nurses as well, because a year later, another student nurse said to me, oh, did you hear about that student nurse that fainted in front of a patient? And I was like, that was me. But the thing is, blood causes powerful reactions. Some of us can be super squeamish to blood. You even hate talking about it. And if that's you, I'm very sorry about that story. But some of you may deal with it in your daily work. But over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the blood of Jesus. Having the knowledge of the blood of Jesus brings power. We've been following the crimson thread throughout the Bible. We traced it from Genesis to the very first sacrifice, where the blood covered the people's shame, to Exodus, where the blood delivered the people from death, to Leviticus, where the blood atoned for the sins of the people. And last week on Good Friday, Pastor Catherine looked at Joshua, where the blood speaks hope. And today we are following that thread to the New Testament, to Hebrews. Hebrews is an amazing book. It's a rich, meaty book of the Bible. I encourage you to read it. And we're going to be looking at the blood that does it all. The blood that does it all. And Hebrews gives us an amazing overview of what Jesus has done. He's replaced the high priest and mediated the new covenant between God and his people. So we're going to look at Hebrews 9 and 10 together, look at different passages within it, and see that the blood really does do it all. And the first thing we're going to come to is that the blood is sufficient. 
sometimes to help us understand the new things, what is good now, it's good to look back on what was. What was before? What was the old like? Reflection helps to see what has changed and celebrate what do we have now. And that's what the writer of Hebrews does. So we're going to firstly look at Hebrews 9, verses 1 to 10. You might want to open up your Bibles with me, and it will also come up on the screen. And in Hebrews 9, we're looking at the old covenant and the earthly tabernacle. It says this. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with a lampstand and a table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So as we read this scripture, there is a lot to it. You can see all the rules and the regulations to prepare it correctly. In the Israelites' life, the tabernacle was the center of worship to them. It was so important to them. It reflected God's faithfulness. And because it was where God dwelled, everything had to reflect God's holiness and purity. So we see in this passage that the elements had to be precisely placed. Only the priest could enter the outer room. Only the high priest could enter the inner room. And then only once a year and only with a blood and a sacrifice. So there was a lot to it. The priest and the high priest had to get all of this right on behalf of the people. The average person didn't even get to come close to the presence of God. And even after all of that, all of that work, Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices were not able to clear the consciences of the worshipper. So we see this limited picture, a limited access to the presence of God, limited results from an insufficient sacrifice. Even after all that striving, all of that work, all of the precise placement, all of that, none of it made things right. So then let's look at the new now. What do we have now? What's the picture now? We see a totally different picture of limitless access and sufficient sacrifice. So we read on in Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 15. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that was not made with human hands, that is to say, was not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his blood, thus a 
obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that as he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Here we see a completely different picture, an amazing picture of Jesus. Jesus who came as the high priest, the last priest that we would ever need. There were so many other priests that came before offering sacrifices. But here, this is Jesus, the final one that we ever needed. And he entered into God's presence with his own blood. Blood that was not blemished, blood that could obtain eternal redemption and eternal inheritance. This is powerful blood. This is the blood of Jesus. So how much more will the blood of Jesus cleanse us? Jesus does what the old sacrifice couldn't do. His blood truly cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. That is the truth of the blood of Jesus. He cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. We don't have to be bound by sin any longer. This is totally opposite to the limited sacrifice and practices that the previous priests did again and again. They had to strive and work so hard just to enter God's presence and then for only once a year to achieve a cleansing that was only outward. It was so limited. But we are told that we are cleansed from our sins so that we may serve the living God. We serve a living God who wants a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? A living God wants a relationship with you and me. However, sometimes we know that we can try and still do things to appease God, to make ourselves feel like I need to be worthy, I need to be holy before God. We can often get it the wrong way around. We serve God to try and become worthy, to try and get into his presence. We can do good acts, love, love our neighbors, love our family, care for the sick, volunteer, serve, give. We can try again and again to do the right thing, to sort of tick off that Christian tick list. But all of that, none of those things actually clear our conscience and allow us entry into God's presence. It's completely the other way around. We are firstly covered by Jesus' blood, which means we are welcome into his presence and cleansed from sin so that we can serve him. It's not the other way around. It's so that we can serve him. We're firstly covered in the blood of Jesus. We're not saved by works. That was the old way, the old covenant, the old rules. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 puts it like this. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works which no one can boast. It's not by works. It's not by our works. It's not by doing good things or doing the right thing. The only way to clear our conscience and enter into God's presence is through Jesus. Through his blood that gave us eternal forgiveness and eternal inheritance. That is the only way into his presence. His blood secures our entrance. 
into the presence of God. Only the blood of Jesus was sufficient to do this. This is an amazing gift, a privilege that we are given. That's why when people say to me, oh, you're religious, aren't you? You go to church, you work for a church. You know, I say, no, I'm not religious. My faith is a relationship with a living God. I'm not bound by rules or legalistic rituals. I'm welcome into his presence, and because of that, I love to serve him. We love to serve him because we're already welcomed by his blood. Jesus' blood is all sufficient. It is all sufficient. He has done it. And then when we look next on into Hebrews 10, we see that his blood is final. His blood is final. We see it demonstrated in Hebrews 10. Even just the title of the book kind of gives it away. My NIV version, it's titled, Christ's Sacrifice Once for All. And I encourage you to read all of this chapter. I'm just going to read a few verses from it, which demonstrate how the old sacrifices just, just didn't cut it. They didn't make the mark. In verses 1 and 2, we read this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to God to worship. Otherwise, would they had not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. So we hear again the picture that the sacrifices were just repeated endlessly, year after year, day after day, again and again. And this repetition of the sacrifices reminds us that our sin can still have an ongoing grip on us. It highlights the lack in the old covenant. That the sacrifices didn't really work because if the people would feel no longer guilty, then we didn't need to do it. But we know that's not true. They still kept feeling guilty and still felt like they had to keep giving the sacrifices. But then we read in verses 14 and 18, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Jesus' sacrifice means our sin is remembered no more. He's obtained our perfection before God. The need for sacrifice is finally, once and for all, done. It's no longer necessary. We have entered into a new covenant, into the new promises of God. And we can celebrate the finality of the blood of Jesus. It is final. You know, in my previous point, I was saying how we can often still try and gain God's approval by doing good, good works. Sort of as if we don't believe his blood is final. Sort of a backup plan, a just-in-case attitude. You know, I want to have my insurance policy, so I'll still do these things to make sure that I gain God's approval, just in case the word of God is not true and that the blood isn't true. You know, I'll just have that in case. But actually, why are we doubting this? God's word is final. In John 8, Jesus even says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We can trust in God's word. 
in Jesus' blood. We can trust in them. They are both final and infallible. We've seen so far that Jesus' blood was all-sufficient, and it is also final. He has the final say. And then we come to see that Jesus' blood draws us close to God. It draws us close to him. When we read in Hebrews 10, we receive some great encouragement and an invitation to respond to him, knowing these amazing truths. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What incredible scriptures. And I would just encourage you to go home and read these again. We read there that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And the writer in Hebrews has given us practical ways of how we can hold on to that hope. The thing is, we know that we still mess up sometimes. We know that we can still sin and that sin can still try and take a hold in our hearts. And we sort of start to forget and forget that full assurance of Jesus. When I was a teenager, I knew Jesus. I gave my life to him when I was quite young. But as I was growing up, I wasn't really living in the full freedom, in his forgiveness. I felt like I kept messing up with my family particularly. I felt like I was repeating the same mistakes again and again, and that I didn't deserve God's forgiveness. I was basically stuck. I felt like I needed to do something more to please God. That I wasn't good enough to receive his forgiveness again. That I wasn't worthy enough for God. And I remember saying to my mom, but how can he forgive me again? He's going to be so fed up with me. Like, I just keep doing it again. Why would he do that again? But she reminded me that Jesus' death was final. That his forgiveness was final. That God no longer remembered our sins once he had forgiven us. And in that moment, I finally remembered and realized God's forgiveness and freedom. And I sort of broke down in tears, and I was just thanking God that he did forgive me. And I finally started to live my life out of that freedom. I had to choose to keep living out of it and not going back to the old ways and old thought patterns. You know, I started to allow myself to just simply be in God's presence without fear or failure of shame. Whenever we come back to God, every time we come back to him, it's with the assurance of Jesus mediating for us. He is there before us, before God, because of his sacrifice, because of his blood. He is mediating on behalf of us. So every time we come, we do not need to hide from him. We have full assurance that faith brings. You can come to Jesus fully. Ephesians 2.13 says this, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you've ever felt like you were far away, you can be brought close to God. I felt far away from God. Then I realized, no, I can come near to him because of his blood, because of his sacrifice, not anything that I've done, but just because of him and what he has done for us on the cross. It's the blood of Jesus that draws us close to him. Our sin doesn't drive him away. You know, I don't think my story is an unusual story. I've spoken to many people that have felt like this in their lives. Many of us can still live like the old covenant, like the old law, one of striving and of guilt, of trying to win God's approval. We can keep asking forgiveness again and again, even after we've repented, we've had prayer, we've spoken with God, people have prayed for us. We still don't truly believe that we are set free and that we are forgiven. We need to remember our new status in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is amazing. You have been given life and life to its full. We no longer need to live under the old covenant. We are free. And we have hope in Jesus. He will never cast us away or drive us away. Even this week while I was on holiday, I was reading the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And I was just struck by the words that Jesus says in John 6, verse 37. It says this, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He says, I will never drive away. What an amazing promise from Jesus. You know, we can all think of all the reasons and excuses for why God wouldn't want to come close to us. We think that he'll get fed up with us or tired of us and hold us at arm's length. But no, the words of Jesus say, no, he will never drive us away. You know, that's what I used to think. That's not the truth. The truth is Jesus will never drive us away. And that's why we're encouraged by Hebrews to draw near to God with a sincere heart, a heart that genuinely wants to be closer to God. Because we can enter in God's presence with full assurance that the blood really is sufficient and final, that God is not going to reject us. We do it with full assurance and faith. And also, we read in Hebrews that we're told we can do it by spurring one another on, not giving up meeting together. I love that encouragement there. We are together, we are called to come closer to God, to allow his presence to minister to us in power. And this was a power that was once restricted from humans, that only a priest could come once a year close to God. But now that power is available to all of us, to all of you here this morning, because of the blood of Jesus. That is an amazing truth. A limited power is now limitless for us. We can come into God's presence. The blood of Jesus draws us close to God. And that is just an incredible truth to take hold of this morning. So we've seen that the blood of Jesus really does do it all. His blood is sufficient and final. Jesus replaced the high priest and became the sacrifice once and for all. He obtained our eternal salvation and forgiveness for sins. We are welcomed into his presence 
because of the blood, so that we may serve him. We are not saved by our works. And his blood draws us closer to God. It's an invitation to come near, to not hide, but to live in freedom. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to Jesus. Maybe you've never drawn closer to him. Maybe you've never believed in faith that he could save you and bring you out of death. And there is a chance now to meaningfully ask Jesus into your life. Maybe you've been feeling distant from Jesus. But whoever you are, whatever happened in your past, you can be welcomed into God's presence because of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to hold back. You are welcomed and you are loved and you are not going to be driven away or cast away. So in a moment, a prayer is going to come up on the screen. And we'd love to ask you, if you want to make a commitment to Jesus, you can do that this morning. Commit your life to him. Say, yes, I want you, Jesus, in my life. So the prayer comes up on the screen. Can I ask all of us to say that prayer so that if anyone wants to do it for the first time, they can. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today, I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media. 